0: Welcome to In the Trenches, the podcast of the Michigan Freedom Fund. Here's your host, Tony Daunt. Welcome, everybody, uh, to the Michigan Freedom Fund podcast, In the Trenches. We are back in the trenches, and thankfully so is the rule of law here in Michigan, thanks to some recent Supreme Court rulings. Uh, My name, your host, is Tony Daunt. I'm the executive director of the Michigan Freedom Fund. And on the line with us today, we're very honored to have a longtime friend of the Freedom Fund and of Freedom in general, uh, State Representative Jason Wentworth. He is uh, the Speaker Pro Tem. He is in line to be the Speaker of the House next year should Republicans maintain the majority. He was first elected in 2016 represents the 97th district which is the counties of Arenac, Gladwin, Clare, and a good portion of Osceola and um, like I said he's a great friend of us here at Michigan Freedom Fund, a great friend for taxpayers and uh, so we welcome
1: him. Jason, thanks for uh, being here with us. Hey thanks Tony, I appreciate the opportunity to, to be with you guys on this podcast.
0: Well, great. Well, we'll just hop right into it here. Uh, I mentioned at the outset, the the rule of law and its reemergence here in the state of Michigan, thankfully, after a six or seventh month uh, hiatus in light of the governor's reaction to the pandemic. And uh, curious what your thoughts are on that ruling. And then maybe in particular, the, the governor's response to it i think it would be fair to say it's been slightly over the top and uh, more political than it needs to be and i'm curious how you and your role and the speaker and the rest of the caucus have been uh have been reacting to
1: it yeah it's a good question tony and I, i'm equally as happy that we're back to the rule of law in the state of michigan uh, as it should be um you know obviously i, I believe the supreme court got this right um, you know and and while the governor wants to continue to to play partisan games and point fingers at, you know, a Republican majority on the Supreme court, or fact is, you know, the seven Oh decision uh, to determine that this was unconstitutional. A 45 laws is not partisan at all. And, uh, but it's no surprise that she wants to continue to point to that. I mean, that's what she's done her entire career in the legislature. Um, it, it takes, uh, it's a challenge to govern. and It's a challenge to work across the aisle and to get things done. And we've shown that as house Republicans, we've shown that, as uh, as as Michigan Republicans in the Senate and the House, that we can work together and get things done, um, and the governor just refuses to to go down that road with us, um, and so it's no surprise that she's she's just going to continue to point fingers and, um, and and try to try to talk partisan blame. But we're going to rise above that. And The people of Michigan they don't want to hear it.
0: Well, and that's I think the the people listening to this and the people across the state certainly appreciate that because. Um, you know, I think what we've noticed here at the Michigan Freedom Fund and the people that we speak with out in in the grassroots is that they are desperate for people to to take this seriously, to to quit politicizing everything. And um, I, I think it's a it's worth pointing out that from from day one of of this this public health crisis, uh, you guys in in the House and in the Senate, uh, you you extended your hand of partnership, of let's let's flatten the curve. Uh, you agreed to um, extend the uh, emergency declaration the first time around as we were still dealing with kind of the, the height of the crisis. And you've always had this extended hand and it seems as though the governor just continues to kind of swat that hand away. And um, I think it's it's very disappointing and unproductive to, uh, to getting solutions in place for, uh, for people to take this seriously and to, to get us back to normal. Um, you know, I, I'm, yeah. I'm curious if, 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 you know, in addition to that, um, just that piece right there, um, you know, I, I'd like you to maybe hit on a little bit some of the additional importance of, of Republicans maintaining their majority. Uh, for those that aren't necessarily aware, we currently have, uh, Republicans have a 58 seat to 52 seat majority. In the House of Representatives, and um, you know, what are some of the things you have worked so hard to to fight off from from the governor and from the Democrats over the last couple of years? And why is it important to keep that going?
1: Yeah, it's a great point, Tony. I mean, you, to your point, the the uh, pandemic has heightened the the public's awareness of how the governor is is super partisan and how she's how she's handling some of this you know uh, response to the crisis and. But even before that happened, to your point, we have had an extended hand this entire term to our governor uh, and whether the, the auto no-fault, uh, she she swatted it down at that time. You can look back at, at the press and how that whole situation played out. The governor was not in a position where she wanted to sign no-fault reform. And, uh, and you look at the partisan's reasons why, she didn't wanna give Republicans a win in the state. And she continually came out and said she refused it. She's going to refuse to sign auto no fault with X or with Y. And at the end of the day, she signed it because we put we forced her in and we 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 put her in a position where she had to sign it. Um, and you could go on and on with different policy items that the House Republicans and the Senate to arm and arm uh, for the people of Michigan to move our state forward, whether it be criminal justice reform. Um, we've done we've done tremendous uh, we have tremendous progress in that area, and we haven't done that in our state in the last you know. Five or six years to this level, and yet the governor continually wants to play partisan politics with with policy and, uh, and and play politics. And we just we've rose above it each time, and we've working for the people of Michigan. And that's what's at stake right now is you know if if the Republicans were to lose majority, which we're not, if we were to lose majority, um, you know that that's where our state is going to see the average voter, the average person is you know going back and forth to work and raising their family. Um, they're going to feel that pinch and that pain of having a Republican, uh, or I'm sorry, a Democrat house and a Democrat executive office. Um, you know, I think that the house plays a unique role in ensuring that we're continuing to move this state forward. We are the house of the people and, uh, you know, we're the closest branch of government. Um, that's, that's to the people. I mean, I represent 90,000 people, uh, and you know, that's, that's important to the state. And I'm a voice for those 90,000 people at the table. As much as the governor wants to diminish that and try to refute that that's not important, that she can act unilaterally, uh, I think the people are going to react, you know, to that. And, uh, and they're going to vote back a Republican majority in our House. Um, and it's critically important. The things that we've done over the last 10 years, um, it, it, that's what's at stake. And the, the Democrats have had their agenda is literally from day one to start repealing some of the major reforms that we've been able to accomplish as Republicans in our state. Uh, and so there is a lot up for grabs this election in November, not just at the federal level and in the U.S. Senate, but, uh, but at our state house level. And, um, and we're, I'm confident we're going to win. It's going to take a tremendous amount of work, uh, but we are putting it in. We're out working, we're out performing, we're out spending the Democrats, and we have been from the beginning. And I think the people are going to respond well to that.
0: That's that's a, a great point, and, and appreciate your your um you know kind of thinking on that because it's you know people do tend to get distracted by all of the the chaos and and the uh you know the, the partisanship coming out of Washington D.C. at the national level, whether it's the president or as you mentioned U.S. Senate seats, but um, really uh, for those of us who have been involved in in state legislative politics for many years it is the thing that, that ultimately has some of the most impact on your day-to-day lives. And, uh, you know, for instance, just we go back to another one of those examples of, of um, kind of the governor's plan and her desire to swat away the hand as opposed to work with you on that extended hand. And that was that ridiculous 45 cents per gallon gas tax increase. And, you know, ultimately couldn't even get the Democrats on board to support it to even introduce a bill uh, in favor of it. But that didn't stop her from blaming you guys in the Republican majority in the House and the Senate from stopping that when really, at least 80% of the people in the state of Michigan wanted it stopped. And so um, you've, you've made tremendous points. And, and to that end, um, you know, the work that's needed, uh, the the work of maintaining that majority, where do you see um, kind of this, the majority, the path to majority running. Um, what seats do you see it running through? Where are the potential threats? Where you're you're working hard to defend uh, seats that are currently held by Republicans, and where do you maybe see some opportunities for pickup for Democrats that may not necessarily uh, be doing the work or fitting their district?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, we there's no no surprise that uh, in many of our districts, the Democrats who came in in eighteen first term incumbents, you know, they, they didn't face, uh, you know, a ballot with Trump on it and they, you know, in their districts and 10 of those districts, Trump won in 16 and they came in on what, what Democrats called the blue or a pink wave and they won in 18. And now they're back on the ballot with now they have a voting record. In 18 they ran as relatively an unknown individual. Uh, were able to put a campaign plan together and, and share that message across and, and, you know, pick up a seat or two in the, in the house. But in 20, now those very same uh, you know people have a voting record uh, as Democrats, and they and the voting record is far left of their district, far left of their base of that district in many of them, and uh, we're going to capitalize on that and be able to we're you know we're telling the voters who these people are that ran in eighteen that won uh, that now are going to be on the ballot with Trump voters that are going to be coming out again in twenty uh, to support our president, and that's where I think we're going to see a big shift because these districts are the same that they were in sixteen. The same in 18, they're the same in 20. They haven't changed. The lines have not changed. So, um, you know, there's the path for us is obviously maintaining our incumbents. So protecting our incumbents like Ryan Berman on the 39th Commerce Township, uh, protecting our incumbents like Annette Glenn over in Midland County. Um, Those are our two top, you know, key protect seats. Uh, But we have a lot of opportunities uh, to maintain our open seats, which is, you know, like Kathy Crawford's seat on 38th. Uh, with our candidate there, Chase Turner, um, the 45th uh, Rochester Hills area, Mark, or Mike Weber seat with our candidate Mark uh, Tisdale, and uh, Andrea Schroeder as an incumbent in 43 in Oakland County, we feel really good about that area. And you know, you hear a lot of chatter out there that Oakland County uh, isn't going to, you know, remain Republican and President's not performing well there. Here's the thing: even in areas where the President isn't performing well our candidates and our incumbents are outperforming the president by double digits in some of these seats. And they're outperforming John James, they're outperforming the generic ballots, they're outperforming in a lot of ways. And that's because we have we have a message that is, that is resonating with the voters. The incumbents have done their work to protect their seats and the voters can differentiate between what's like, to your point, Tony, the, the chaos in DC versus what's happening at the state level. They recognize what Republicans are doing in the state of Michigan. And, uh, and they're gonna come home across the ballot uh, if they choose to vote for Joe Biden at the top. Uh, they're gonna vote for a Republican uh, state house candidate or incumbent down ballot. Uh, we're confident of that. They've shown that over the years that they can do that. Uh, we also have some key pickup opportunities. So uh, we talk about Bay County with you know, Representative Brian Elder, it's a second term incumbent. Uh, we have a candidate there, Timmy Beeson, who is uh, you know, family, a family of fourth generation business owner in the district. Uh, very well known, very well liked. I like to call him, he's a, he's a mix between a, a, a representative Tommy Brand and a representative Joe Bellino. You know, it's a uh, very humble and you know business owner like Tommy Brand and he's, he's well known like Joe Bellino. Everybody knows him. And uh, he's a great candidate for us in that seat. Uh, and then, you know, a couple of other seats that we have pickup opportunities in is, you know, in 48, rural are County. Uh, Trump's still doing very well there. Cheryl Kennedy's the incumbent. Uh, we have a candidate there, Dave Martin who uh, we, we believe in and is doing a fantastic job outworking uh, Cheryl Kennedy by, by leaps and bounds. Um, and we're, we're fully invested there. Um, and then obviously up in Traverse City to 104 with John Roth. Um, you know, John's doing an incredible job up there. And that, again, that base hasn't shifted from us up there. And we believe that they, they see the value of Republican leadership in our state as well. So those are our key, you know, kind of battleground areas and uh, our opens and the seats we need to protect. And then some opportunities that we may have to pick up a couple
0: Awesome, and you know I, another one that comes to mind where um, you know we've been incredibly impressed would be um, in in the 19th district, which is down uh, Livonia area, and uh, another potential there with Martha Tashnik, and I'm I'm curious, you know the the incumbent there, um, Representative Polhutski. Um, doesn't seem to fit the district in, in, you know, what, what is Martha bringing to the table in that seat that maybe wasn't there, uh, two years ago?
1: That's a great question. I, I don't, don't know why I forgot that one, but that's, uh, that's one of our key pickup opportunities too. So with, uh, with the 19th and, and representative Pohutsky, uh, you know, again, very left of her district. She won by 224 votes in 18. I'm not sure what she's accomplished in Lansing, if anything other than a couple of bill introductions to help protect feral cats and some other uh, radical things. Um, you know, super, I, I truly don't know.
0: Super important stuff.
1: <laughs> yeah, super important stuff that I'm sure district cares deeply about. And the issue is that, you know, she's, she doesn't fit that district And Martha Tashnik, you know, she's a homegrown uh, individual who's a teacher in the district. She has full support of local law enforcement, POAM endorsement. And, you know, we have a radical, Lord Bohusky, who's literally signed a pledge to defund the police. And it's not, it's not, you can't talk your way out of that. But this pledge actually says defund the police. You know, they, they want to say, oh, they, we don't actually mean defund. Well, they do. And the pledge that she signed says defund the police. And so you can't back away from that after you've already played to your base to try to win an election. You can't back away from that. And the voters are going to, they're going to see through that. And when you have a candidate like Martha Tashnik, who's got, like I said, local police support, uh, local PO, POAM support, um, and the POAM endorsement, and you have somebody who's going to literally work to defund their local police, that's a stark difference. And uh, and I could go on to many different areas where Martha is a much better uh, candidate and a much better fit for that district than Representative Pohutsky, who, again, has, has done nothing in Lansing for her first term. Um, so that's one we're very excited about. Martha is still working full-time as a teacher. She gets out, uh, you know, three thirty, four o'clock, and she's on the door till dark, and uh, she's out working Pulatsky, and uh, it's exciting to see a candidate that I recruited because I was on candidate recruitment. Um, you know, last year when I had those conversations in March of last year, nobody knew we were going to be in the middle of a pandemic, right? Nobody knew that this was going to be such a divisive year for for politics. But at the end of the day, and I've seen this this individual who was a teacher, who still is a teacher, uh, you know, talk about wanting to serve her community, and then see her put together an entire campaign. Be one of our biggest opportunities to pick up a seat. It's pretty cool to see. It's exciting. Um, she's a she's a wonderful person, wonderful candidate.
0: Well, it's, that's great to hear because we, you know, I met Martha um, over a year ago when she was first considering uh, running, and was was incredibly impressed. And uh, you know, I'm I'm not uh, I'm not a big fan of, of math, the subject, but um, you know, she she seems like I, I may have done well to have had her as a teacher. Uh, Would through my struggles with math uh, than the folks I did have, and uh, she's she's going to be a strong voice, I think, here in Lansing if, if she's a, if she's able to pull it through. And I think with the work you guys have been doing and in other groups, uh, has a real legitimate shot at that. And um, you know, you you mentioned in, in that answer about the issue of the pandemic, and that's kind of a nice segue into you know how has the the pandemic um, changed campaigning, you know, obviously it's changed quite a few things. I'm curious, um, for the listeners out there, what are some of the, you know, top two or three things that have really been, been struggles or opportunities on, uh, on changing things up and in particular, you know, absentee ballots and, uh, and door knocking, how have you guys adjusted to that?
1: Yeah, it's another good question. I mean, when you look at the pandemic, obviously, and you know, we, we had a, so I guess back up before the pandemic, you know, when we, started working on our plan to, uh, to retain a majority in the state house. We, we thought thoroughly through the seats and the numbers and all those things that you have to do typically in a campaign strategy. But at the end of the day, we, we walked away from that. We said, this is our plan and we're going to prepare and we're going to work this plan all the way through. And we knew there were gonna be challenges and that we knew there were gonna be things that adversities that came up and, and how do we overcome those and stick together and, and as a caucus and, and work through those is how we're going to be successful on November 3rd. And what I can tell you, Tony, is that, that when we walked away from that table with a plan, that plan has not changed. Regardless of the pandemic, regardless of, of any type of, of uh, partisan politics by our governor, whether it's uh, you know uh, uh, anything at the federal level, it, nothing has changed from, our, from the beginning when we started uh, executing that plan. And so that's what I can tell you is our investment and our work has, has paid off and we're, we're in a really good spot. Uh, but when the pandemic came and when this whole thing uh, started to 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 occur, we looked at some of the silver linings that this gave us as a as a as a, an opportunity to help you know move along our plan and work even harder and, and faster at a faster pace. And Zoom actually gave us that capability to where prior it wasn't I don't know I guess commonly acceptable across you know uh, the business community or the politics community to do Zoom fundraisers or or Zoom intros and it just wasn't really you know I, I don't know I guess acceptable in some some ways, but it did it opened up a new door so we were having calls with our consultants and our and our campaign people you know all day from our basements you know um working in our business you know home offices and and we're able to meet with these candidates you know i can meet 10 candidates in one day where before i had to drive around the state meeting these people get you know our um uh, consultants into town and and in one place and then have these meetings we knocked them out in a day and we saved money doing it uh, we saved time and energy and resources and we worked extremely, uh, a lot faster. And so that was a benefit to this, uh, We're to the point where we were a month and a half ahead of schedule, uh, where we were able to get photo shoots done and all this coordination of messaging and that, and, uh, you know, between our HRCC, uh, folks. And it really helped us in, in a, in a way, if you're looking for silver linings and, and opportunities in it, obviously there was a challenge there uh, at the beginning with, you know, voter to voter contact with door knocking, you know, we didn't want to, we didn't want to put anybody at risk. So we, we, uh, you know, many, many candidates, if not all, stopped door knocking altogether. And they, they retooled their focus to helping their, you know, their constituents through this pandemic, whether it be delivering meals or, you know, helping in food pantries and, and uh, hand out food and, and whatever else they were doing in their districts. And for me, it was also a flood. And same thing with Representative Glenn, you know, we had a, pan- a pandemic on top of a, a really emergent situation that was, you know, a, a tragedy. Still is, we're still recovering from that. So. Many things have happened this year, but what I can tell you is that, as a Republican caucus, as a family, as a team, we have not lost focus of what we are, what we're trying to do, and help uh, you know keep this Republican majority in the state house. And uh, no matter what was thrown our way, we found a way to overcome it. And I think that's going to show on November third as well.
0: That's excellent, and. You know, I, I guess you know to, to wrap things up. Uh, a couple of, of questions. I'll, I'll maybe put you put you on the spot with the last one, but I'll give you I'll I'll you know tease you a little bit and give, give you some time to think about it. Um, uh, second to last question: um, As as we enter the final stretch here, um, the last you know two weeks of of the campaign, um, how can people who are listening who live in these various areas, um, whether they live in a targeted area or not? Um, what can they do to help help you and help the cause and and help retain that majority and bring one back?
1: Yeah. The biggest thing they can do, obviously, is is you know find out who their candidate is, find out who their the Republican candidate is, and and uh, you know sign up to help, sign up to volunteer. I mean, this is not just about our our state house. This is about the future of our the future of our state, the future of our country, our our kids, our you know our way of life, our freedoms. This is literally one of the, I think, biggest elections of our lifetime, and I know people say that, but I think we can all, agree, we can all agree that this is a significant uh, time in in our country. And so, get engaged if you're not already. You know, help knock doors, help make phone calls. You know, if, if you're able, contribute and uh, and just just vote. Right, we want to make sure we we turn out that vote on election day. If you haven't uh, voted by absentee ballot, please make sure you get out you know, get, get five or 10 friends that haven't voted in the past, get them to go out and vote with you uh, and just encourage that, that turnout. Uh, but those are, those are several ways you can, you can get engaged and help. Okay.
0: Well, and, and, and we do encourage that from, from folks who are listening and um, you mentioned it, I, you know, I think we're at a inflection point in this country with, um, with what we've seen over the last several months with, the radical left and, and the discussions uh, and, and threats of, um, you know, whether it be, uh, you know, taking down statues of people like Abraham Lincoln or, um, you know, abolitionists or um, even the, the thought of scrubbing people off of Mount Rushmore um, or packing the court. Um, these are things that are, would be, you know, real um, affront to the American way and in the system of governance we have. And um, encourage people to get out there and help. Um, my final question, uh, again, putting it on the spot a little bit here would be, um, you know, you, have indicated confidence in coming back with a majority. Um, I'm curious if you've got a, uh, got a number you could share with us on what you think or what your prediction is on, on what you come back with and how things shape up uh, November 3rd.
1: Yeah. I, I've uh, yeah, I feel like we're going to be at a 58 59 seat majority. Um, I, I think that there's obviously things that you know could go think of opportunities that could go away depending on you know obviously the last 20 days of, uh, of this cycle. but I feel confident about uh, at least maintaining a 58, potentially even getting a 59 seat majority.
0: Okay Well, uh, we'll uh, make sure we keep this safe somewhere to hold you to it. And uh, we uh, again, thank you very much for your time. I know you're a very a bus- very busy man out there working over the next 20 days or 19 days, whatever it is now. And uh, um, thanks again for joining us.
1: Thanks, Don. Thanks, I really appreciate it.
0: All right, well, that's it, folks. Uh, that is In the Trenches, uh, the Freedom Fund podcast. And uh, we thank you for listening. We look forward to having another spectacular guest in uh, another few weeks. Take care. Thank you for joining us, In the Trenches. To learn more about the Michigan Freedom Fund, please visit our website at www.MichiganFreedomFund.com and sign up for our weekly email, The Frontlines of Freedom. In the Trenches is available on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, and SoundCloud. If you enjoy this podcast, please tell your friends. Thank you for listening.